0: When I'm selecting an educational film, the first thing is, will it engage them? Because it's kind of like a little fish hook. You just send it out there and, and then if they take the bait, then you reel them in for the actual learning of the real content.
1: That's Aidan Pruitt in one of his favourite shorts called George Lucas in Love. Aidan teaches media and music at South Oakley College, a government school in the southeast of Melbourne. As well as teaching regular students, he also teaches vet subjects, that is vocational education and training, which is very hands-on and practical. In fact, all his teaching is practical for a couple of reasons. Firstly, his school now has a TV studio, which he helped them set up. And secondly, Aiden himself is an award-winning documentary filmmaker. His latest film, A Venue for the End of the World, likens politicians to rock stars and, as you can imagine, is getting lots of interest with the new American president. We had so much to talk about. In fact, our conversation went on for the longest I've recorded for this show so far. In this episode, I've cut things down to around 30 minutes, but for all the extras, have a listen to the bonus episode. I hope you enjoy our hearty chat. The best short films for lifelong learning, recommended by teachers for teachers. This is Short Films Teachers Love, with your host, Richard Lee. There's that horrible expression that, you know, if you can't do it, then you teach it. If you can't teach <laughs> it, then you teach, teach the teachers to teach it. But we know that's, I mean, that's not true. But there is a sense that, you know, when, when you're focused on teaching and imparting the knowledge that you have, you can't be at the same time focused on doing the craft of what you're doing. So what would you say drives you more? Is it the drive to impart the knowledge that you've learned or is it to become continue to become a craftsperson in the area that you're teaching?
0: That's a really interesting uh question. I think because uh, you sort of find yourself in both in two streams you know, in in the way that that kind of naturally occurs and I've found that it's been extremely useful that I've been a teacher since being at uni because uh, every, all the theories and stuff that I was learning at uni, I have repetitively just drummed into my students year after year. So everything that all of the beautiful theories Um, like editing theories from Walter Murch, um, through to, uh, I mean, just, you know, your simple three, um, three point lighting setups and all of that kind of stuff. And, um, my favorite thing is three act structure, which I'm sure we'll talk about later on in terms of the the films, uh, we're going to chat about, but, uh, all of that stuff, I, I find myself just reiterating to students every year and it drums that back into me again. So when I'm sort of Uh, doing, yeah, the, the, my own projects, uh, I've still got all that stuff and it feels fresh still, which is, which is cool. So I feel like, um, when I'm, when I'm teaching the kids, it's all about, yes, I want you guys to get as much out of me as what I got, um, in, you know, the VCA days or whatever, because like, why not? There's no point for them to just have to wait before uni to learn, you know, what something like three act structure is or whatever, because it's a... It's a very easy concept to get your head around, and I start teaching that. Um, depending on what classes I'm teaching, but I have started teaching that around about year eight, and they they pick it up and and it works very well. And they're like, "This is just like an essay," and I'm like, "Well, yeah, beginning, middle, end." But let's just look at it in a little bit more detail, and we'll talk about cycling moments as well, which um, I just I love that. Like that's that's yeah. I don't know. I'm a I'm a Sid Field uh, disciple.
1: <laughs> what is the Sid Field disciple?
0: Uh, he wrote a book uh, called Screenwriting uh, in, back in like the 70s. And I, when I was in about year 11, I went to a seminar at Melbourne Uni about script writing. And um, uh, uh, I think it was Mac Gudgeon was running it. And uh, he sort of pulled out this book called Screenwriting by Sid, Sid Field. And um, he said, if there's one book you read on screenwriting, make it this book. He said, read it once. And then just sort of put it on the shelf and you'll never need to come back to it because it just drums this into you so much. And um, that's exactly what I did. I, bought, I went out and bought the book that day, uh, read it in, in about two sittings, um, even though it was, you know, 300 pages, uh, and just ate it up. And, and the bits that stuck with me are still with me, and the stuff that didn't stick with me I haven't found that relevant. hope Well, I guess because I didn't <laughs> remember them. So, yeah, Sidfield is sort of the guru that um, – that I have come to, you know, kneel at the altar of.
1: (laughs) And uh, so tell me, what does a a Mr. Pruitt class look like? You know, how how do you – what's a – there's probably not a typical lesson, but, you know, with all this knowledge that's kind of just seeping through your veins almost, you know – there must be a sense of having to translate that into a curriculum, although I guess because you're doing vet, it's a very applied course, so you've got some scope to make it a bit freer and easier. But give us a sense of what that looks like in terms of actually teaching what you know. How does that look?
0: I, well, depending on the class, it's completely different every time, which I love because I I want... Um, you know, to feel fresh and to have, um, you know, a sense of that I'm not, you know, running uh, into a rut or something. So, my uh, my VCE vet classes are in a computer lab, and everyone's got their own machine, and uh, they'll turn around to listen to some sort of chalk and talk at the beginning for a, hopefully a brief period of time before we get stuck into the um, the practical stuff, and that'll start off. With Photoshop, and then we move on to Premiere Pro, uh, and and then in year eleven, twelve we do web design stuff. So that's how that class operates. The um, oh, and you know, of course, when they're using cameras and stuff, we do use the same classroom. But um, I'll obviously, you know, allow them at year eleven and twelve to go in small groups off around the school to film what they need to film, and I'll you know supervise and move between those groups. Uh, in music, we have a dedicated recording studio, which is fantastic. Um, and so that is sort of 50% will be in there, um, which is either rehearsing different things or looking at exactly, you know, how to use the mixing board and all that kind of stuff to add effects and create a professional style recording. Uh, and that class usually is quite small. the, The music class, which is really good, it's around about 15 students uh and because it's a smaller class we're able to crowd around the mixing board and everyone gets a shot at, at figuring out how that all works and uh and that will happen frequently so that you know when it comes time for them to sort of take charge as they do from about the end of term one uh, they've got their heads around it and they can run it themselves and and i act more as as a facilitator when they're actually in the studio doing the recordings.
1: It sounds like a great way to do it. And, it. and does that reflect the way that you learnt this stuff or not? So, you went to a private school. You said, did you study media? Did you learn to do it like that? Or
0: The funny thing is, so I grew up in the country in Shepparton and I went to a school called Golden Valley Grammar School, which was a fantastic school. I really enjoyed being there. Um, but being in the country, uh, the, the school didn't offer media and didn't offer um, technical music. So, I did music at at um, year eleven and twelve, um, playing drums, and uh, that was great fun and everything, um, and taught me about the instrument. But in terms of recording, throughout this whole time, I was always like, "Well, I want to be in a band. I want to make you know CDs and tour the world and and you know hundred million selling albums and stuff like that." So I was teaching myself with my laptop, and and I would uh, the music teacher would actually because he didn't really know how to use digital recordings and stuff, so he would let me take this, the school's new digital recorder home, and I just taught myself how to use it. Um, and, and I didn't, you know, teach myself as well as kids can these days with YouTube and all that kind of stuff. But that was how I got my head around the technical stuff was was just sort of I've got the equipment at my disposal now. I'm just going to sit here for hours on end. And, I yeah, I recorded um, a crappy cover album with me playing all the instruments and just sort of – learning how to use this thing and um the the end result was horrible but all of the groundwork in terms of the technical stuff was there and that fed into the film stuff too because um of course if you're recording audio for a film there's almost no difference between that and working in a
1: recording studio i always say to people that i'm working with you know the in the audio-visual marriage, the audio is always the sort of downgraded partner. And, you know, the very first training that I did in in filmmaking video production was at an audio-visual college, and they had lots of audio recording stuff. And and it it was drilled into me then how important sound is, because you can have a crappy picture, but if the sound is as crisp as anything, you'll forgive it. Whereas if it's the other way around, you go, this is this is a B grade movie. You know, there's something about audio that seeps through. So it's interesting that you also started with that, that love of music and being able to create that and, and recognizing the importance of good quality audio recording and sound in film.
0: Yeah, it's a huge thing. Um, and uh, yeah, I wish though that, uh, that the films that I have made, like the audio is sometimes not where I want it to be. And that's, that's quite disappointing, <laughs> given that that's sort of a real passion
1: of mine, but, yeah. Let's punctuate our conversation with a, with a film. So, let's talk about this first one that, that you've chosen called George Lucas in Love. And I just, you I, know, I mean, I'm just beginning to think that, that Space Oats isn't the answer. Well, maybe you just weren't meant to write agricultural space tragedies. You've got to write from your heart. Just let people into your dreams.
0: You think so? I do. I really do. Don't worry so much.
1: Just write what you know.
0: That is my favourite one to show, uh, hands down, in terms of, basically, I'll tell them about the theory of write what you know. The, your life is what you know better than anyone else. So therefore, when you're putting something on paper, it's going to mean something if it's coming from a, a an experience, not necessarily like a world that you know, but an experience that you know and something that's universal, uh, you know, within the human experience. Uh, and yeah, I'll explain it in more detail than that, obviously. But uh, that's that's sort of the kinds of things that we're exploring in the class, uh, and and then I'll show them this film because uh, they all know about Star Wars, like, as you said, they may not have seen it, but, um, I mean, especially in the last sort of year when that the new one came out. And the fact that it really goes through and, and sort of, um, it's George Lucas at university and uh, he's like, I need to write this script for this project and it's due tomorrow and how am I going to get this done? Uh, and, yeah, he stumbles upon all these things that happen in his life uh, that just are the the... You know, 1970s version of what would be happening in the Star Wars universe. So, uh, there's,
1: um, uh, now I'm trying to remember. Well, the guy that bumps his head up un- from under the bonnet, he comes out. He's got that great huge hair, and he goes. Oh! That's and then uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. that was one. And then there's the tall guy that looks like a robot that's got his really short friend, and they go oh, dog, 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 absolutely. Dog, dog. Yeah. And the, and the, and then the the woman that comes to you know his girlfriend to be, you know, comes in looking like um, <laughs> uh, Princess Leia, you know, with the hair. <laughs> with everything's kind of this foreshadowing. Yeah.
0: So I was actually shown that at VCA when I was there. Uh, and so that's another example of something that I'm taking from what I was learning at uni and bringing it into the classroom. Cause I just, I'm a massive Star Wars nerd from way back. I, I basically, uh, just grew up on it. Uh, so that kind of opened my eyes a little bit to be like, well, you know, VCA as a, as a place is, it's a cultural institution and it's, it's really just, uh, accepting of whatever ideas that people want to, uh, Create and I, so that was an early thing of VCA and, and it sort of made me feel like yeah I'm going to be very welcomed and accepted here and that that was very much the vibe the whole way through the
1: the story and, and I think you're picking up on this theme that you know write what you know comes through loud and clear in that film that's um that, that's the central message if another teacher's to pick that up and use it that's really why you'd be using it wouldn't you to say you know here's an example. This, this illustrates perfectly right why it's about writing what you know
0: yes and that's I mean I, I really drum that into the students early on uh, because when you're 16 17 years old you don't have the life experience to be able to write you know an epic space battle that's gonna mean anything uh, so why don't you guys? Um, yeah, so, so um, why don't you guys go and write about something that you really do have experience with? Like, we've had little relationship dramas and we've had, um, like, yeah, sort of health uh, things. Because teenagers, oftentimes, you know, it, life is kind of tough. It's not easy to be at high school um, for whatever, you know, reasons that might be. I remember my high school experience um, was quite tough. Like because of the pressures of, of you know, school is saying you must do this and you must do this uh, and and the not knowing what's coming afterwards and all that. So at that time, I feel like, you know, there are good stories that can come out of you. So if you can develop some self-reflection, you can really pick up on some of those universal human experiences that everybody knows about and therefore will relate to. And and so we're talking about – in terms of that, it's it's how are you as artists – uh, going to find your audience uh, and that's yeah that's a, a, the only way i know of doing that is to be true to to your own life experience and what you've been through and what you're interested in and then people will come to you because of you know your sort of honesty as an artist yeah
1: now at this point we spent a while talking about Aiden's documentary a venue for the end of the world which i recommend you have a look at I've created a bonus episode this week for young filmmakers and media teachers because Aiden shares a lot about finding and using archival footage and tips on setting up a TV studio from a scratch in a school. There's some excellent ideas he has. For now, we pick up the conversation with Aidan talking about some public domain films he found that were really useful.
0: There were two that were fantastic about stage fright which is kind of a, a through line of the film in, in that I have stage fright and when I get out in front of a crowd, uh, it's it's very nerve-wracking. So, and, of course, you know, because of that, I was like, well, then if I put myself in the film and we can show me feeling uncomfortable frequently, then, uh, yeah, then the humour value can increase a little bit too. I mean, that's another thing that I'm really keen on with my students is to say don't be afraid of, like, if you be yourself – then often some some humor will come through that you're not even aware is there, but audiences will really connect with it. And there's nothing more rewarding than sitting in a theater full of people who burst out laughing at something that you th- like initially were like, that's kind of funny, uh, but then the humor had been lost because of the editing process and everything, and, and you'd just gotten so used to it. To see that happen with students' work as well, because we often play student films in front of, uh, like a lunchtime crowd in our theatre, and to see the students, you know, gasp at jump scares and all that kind of stuff when it's when it's been student work, that's like as rewarding as when it's my film in playing at a theatre. Yeah, it's really um, great to see.
1: Let's let's move on. We'll never get through these three films. <laughs> There's so many things I want to ask you about. Um, let, let's look at this next film we recommended. So, Borrowed Time. Steady!
0: Can do this
1: tell me why you chose borrowed Time.
0: well it's a new one uh, but it just got the best reaction from the kids they were a bit sort of awestruck by it because it does deal with some kind of dark stuff um, it's a Pixar it came out this year uh, and yeah it's it's kind of it's a it's a Western crossed with the Lion King, which is really fun because uh, I don't know what it is with Disney, but but there's always a character that goes over the edge of a cliff uh, and, yeah, it, and it, no different in this one.
1: But it's Pixar and it's not Pixar, isn't it? You know, I was reading a little bit about it that it's actually, it's all the guys from Pixar. Um yeah. Working yeah, after hours. <laughs> yeah. It's like all the mates that got together. Yeah.
0: Like what the Pixar crew would do when it's not auspice <laughs> like
1: Yeah. So it meant there was those dark themes which you which you mentioned too. Huh?
0: Yeah. Well, I used to always take because three-act structure, as I, as I said, three-act
1: structure with uh, the Sid Field
0: model of it is: you know, act one, introduce the characters, act two, everything, you know, becomes sort of twisted and turned into a knot, and then uh, in act three, there's the resolution. Uh, but there's always, before act two, there is uh, an inciting moment, which is just that the one moment that just turns everything on its head and, and it, t- it takes the story in a new direction, and then same thing with act three inciting moment turns things on its head and goes in a n- new direction to to resolve the story uh and i used to teach that in terms of uh i'd be like hands up if you've seen the lion king everyone puts their hand up the whole thing with that was that i can't show them the lion king it would take too long and, and waste valuable time of doing all this of other stuff so um this year when this movie came out i saw it and i went that is the perfect example of three-act structure in short form to to just sort of immediately illustrate, here is inciting moment one, here is inciting moment two. Uh, so I've only done this once, but it worked so well. So we we finished the thing, and a student puts a hand up and was like, "Why did we watch that after doing the three act structure thing? You can't cover three acts in a, in, a, in a short film." And I was like, oh. uh-huh. "Aha! <laughs> well, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, and I'm like, I was waiting for that, and it <laughs> reeled them yeah. in. Uh, so. I was like, cool. So I just dragged. The, it was on YouTube. So I just dragged the scrubber back to the point where it's very clear that this is inside of my one. Uh, and uh, I was like, what do you think this is? And then someone's like, that's exactly the same thing that happens in the Lion King. Hey, and yeah, and you disc- going, woohoo! <laughs> Look, yeah, yeah, we are now uh, two minutes and I think it was about two minutes thirty into a six minute piece. And I was like, that's yeah. The, the, you couldn't ask for a better illustration of how three x structure works. And then like. Yeah, but what about the end? I'm like, well, let's have, let's have a look through. And so I, I played sort of the last half of it again. I'm like, stop me when we get to the thing. And um, I had about five hands go up. at at that exact moment I'm just like this is brilliant so yeah if you are dealing with 3x structure borrowed time uh, if you can get it
1: now here again we branch off into a bit of a ramble about why short films come and go online which is also in the bonus discussion but it's worth pointing out that the short film borrowed time does not appear to be available to watch or purchase anywhere at the time that I publish this but keep an eye out for it and we'll put a note on our Facebook group once the festival circuit is finished we're confident it will become Available somehow, somewhere. We moved on to Aidan's last recommended film called Home.
0: zombie film uh it's actually directed by a friend of mine uh and i was a sound recordist on it Ah, so i can speak from experience when i'm delivering the content but really the main reason that i I show it to them other than the personal experience is that it's a really good example of a very low budget film that comes together very well tells a very human story uh and has zombies and so (laughs) uh basically i've got a, a lot of students uh in my current vet interactive digital media class that are into, um, horror and gore and all of that kind of stuff that, and, and much like yourself, I'm not into that stuff. In fact, I have nightmares if I, you know, watch anything scarier than Terminator 2. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, it really, it was an entry point for me because I'd worked on it, uh, and so if, if students are like, well, how can we make a horror film or something like that, I, I am able to pull this out and say, you know, with not much money and a skeleton crew and fairly minimal cast as well because you could, you know, with a zombie film you can reuse the same zombies and keep killing them and stuff like that uh, if you just change the makeup.
1: So the uh, most obvious question I, I haven't asked you yet and I've been meaning to all the way along is, you know, three of the three of the films that you've recommended have all been – dramas or animation and none of them documentaries and you're a documentary filmmaker, but also, um, you know, you have made this, this masterpiece of a film yourself. Have you had the ability to show that? And if so, in one context and, and it's really long and how does that kind of feel when you're the filmmaker going, well, here's my work. What do you think of it?
0: <laughs> well, all right. Um, I have a little story that illustrates my perspective on showing your, you know, my stuff to students, uh, in, 2013, I had my first junior media class uh, that I'd ever had. I'd always had um, senior kids up until that point. So I suddenly had a junior class, and I was like, okay, I'm going to show them one of my short documentaries that I did, the first one I did um, uh, at VCA, and it's about iPods and um, narcissism, basically. When you put your earbuds in, you're kind of blocked off from the world. And it's kind of – it's a cute little film. It's kind of a mockumentary. uh, And I showed it to them and I just – they were deadpan the whole way through that movie. And that scarred me and (laughs) I have not – Never again. Yeah, never again. Um, Yeah, so I I only ever show them my stuff if they – ask me you know drag it out of you and start nagging me yeah uh but i've never shown kids the feature length one because how do you fit that in so what i did do that the most i I show my media classes the trailer for it and if they want to go check it out um you know i've I've, i'm like i've got a stack of dvds if anyone wants to take one out and a bunch of them do and that's cool um but I think that film in particular is, is just, you know, it's a little bit beyond high school. The interesting thing was that when I was editing it, I was pretty happy with the film. The first 10 minutes, which are extremely important, uh, I wasn't sure about. And I had I, shown it to a bunch of film friends and a bunch of uh, just, you know, friends. And I still wasn't 100% sure. I was like, yeah, they're telling me it works, But I need to know whether or not I'm really sick because if you don't – especially in a documentary, if you don't set up exactly what this film is about in the viewer's mind in the first 10 minutes, they're probably going to switch off. So I brought in the cut as it was at that point to my year 11 vet uh, multimedia class. And we sat down in the theater, and I showed it to them on the big screen, and they were in their comfortable uh, velvet seats. And uh, so I tried to get the whole you know, cinema vibe going. Also, when I turn the lights off in the theater, I, I always say, as the lights come down, everybody just go ooh.
1: Uh, and uh,
0: psychologically, like, I just did it as a joke the first time, but I always do it now because psychologically it just builds excitement. As the lights come down and everyone's making that sound, it must be exciting, even though we've been talking. And and that's kind of like in the movie is like how to relate to an audience, and it's like if you tell an audience to do something, generally they're actually going to do it. So uh, and they'll feel they'll, the emotions we related to that. So uh, that that's an interesting little thing. But um, so anyway, I played them just the first ten minutes. I was like, I'm gonna. This is my thing uh, that I've spent ages on, and I just want your feedback, guys, as to um, what works about this. Um, that's about all I said. I just played it to them, and then it was after that that I, I really wanted to – so then I grilled them. I'm like, okay, guys, what do you think it was about? And then uh, a bunch of hands went up. I'm like, fantastic, this is good because the, they feel secure in the knowledge
1: that they know what this film is.
0: And So then, yeah, I, I, I just – yeah, I think I, I played them the 10-minute clip and then I grilled them for about half an hour.
1: Yeah. And in many wa- And in many ways what you've done in using your own work, that's probably the most powerful way to use it because you've involved them in the process. Yeah. So you're actually inserting them into the story of – here I am, a live filmmaker making a film. Help me out with this bit. I don't care if you see the finished one. And then they'll be incentivized to go off and actually see, well, I wonder what happened to it in the end, you know?
0: True. And a couple of years – actually, it was about a year later when some of those kids had graduated uh, that some of them actually showed up to the Made in Melbourne Film Festival and, and saw the final product on, on you know, in, in the festival on a real big screen. And, uh, yeah, that was, that was really cool just to be like, yeah, these kids who – were there and did feel involved actually then you know made the trek all the way across Melbourne uh, to the other side of the city to see uh, to see the finished product oh out of everybody that attended that screening i I was just so like you know I felt privileged that these kids had actually made the effort to catch the bus across town
1: a couple of couple of shorter questions: What makes a good educational film? Do you have a general rule about what makes a film a good educational resource
0: gee let's see um when i okay when i'm selecting an educational film uh the first thing is will it engage them in relation to what we're learning that's that's pretty much it because it's kind of like a little fish hook you just send it out there and and then if they take the bait then you reel them in for the actual learning of the real content yeah, which is – the zombie film works quite well with that because they're like, oh, we get to watch a zombie film, and then then surprise, kids, you're actually learning something.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So where do you, where, where do you find good shorts?
0: Uh, uh, I tend to just draw everything from my own, like, experiences. I mean, like, the reason I got into film was because I wanted to make another Star Wars or something like that, and I tell the kids that too uh, because they'll often sort of go – hey, that's what I want to do is go and make the next Star Wars. Uh, So, yeah, everything sort of comes from my own experience and my own – and, again, that's why I showed them the George Lucas thing because that's all about bringing from your own experience and then sort of shaping it in some way to make it work for an audience, which really, same goes for teaching. When I've found something that's very, very useful for me, uh, I don't see why it wouldn't necessarily have a similar impact on, on students.
1: Yeah. Just to finish with, I like to ask people this question. What is your um, earliest moving image memory?
0: Now, I don't know if this is actually uh, a memory or whether it's something my brain has concocted after the fact, but the first film I ever saw at the cinema was Land Before Time. And I was probably about two. I think I was two. Um, So I have this vision in my head uh, of a T-Rex rearing its head and roaring. I've been told by my mom that I had to be taken out of the cinema uh, because I was freaking out, and I think it was probably the T-Rex. So it's possible that she's told me that the T-Rex scared me, and I've just invented this image, but it's fairly vivid. And, uh, I, I mean, I've seen the movie since then, so I probably have just sort of correlated that into what I think is a memory. But I think there was something about, Having an emotional response to a two D image um, that I, I still find really amazing and fascinating. The fact that we can move, uh, we can the fact we can record motion uh, is just amazing, really, and, and play it back. And, and the fact that we can see moving images of things that happened now, well over a hundred years ago, uh, is completely mind boggling. And that's why I love getting into the old, the old footage. Something clicked (laughs) with me early on about the the power of these images and what they can do and um my son felix his middle name uh he has two middle names thomas and rex and so if you shorten the thomas to t his (laughs) middle name is t-rex and i i put that down to uh i mean because i've always loved dinosaurs and uh, and I think that Land Before Time and, and Jurassic Park are, are. so he hasn't got a chance
1: really has he <laughs> influences.
0: well yeah and you know the issue is going to be if he turns out to be really really sporty and and uh, I will not know what to do with him so I'll uh, <laughs> I'll find all the PE teachers in my school and they can they can help him out with that stuff <laughs> yeah yeah yeah,
1: yeah. Fantastic. Uh, look, it's been great to chat. We've, uh, there's, there's lots of things that we've ambled through, and, and hopefully, some people will find this useful. <laughs> but I've certainly enjoyed chatting. Find all the film links and related notes in the description and look out for the edited highlights of this discussion on YouTube. This show is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. To learn more, visit edupodcastnetwork.com.